Hi, this is Jin Hammond, voice of Margarita in Phantom of Venice and Molly McKenna in Lights, Camera, Curses. Welcome to another episode of River Heights Buzz. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. How are you doing? What's going on? Ah, I am a little fried. I um, feel like I have to learn a whole bunch of different softwares all the time. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but it feels like it's just wave after wave. And so um, today it's been Canva. Uh, which a lot of people know, but it's still not uh, intuitive for me. We've been doing a lot of things for um, something called the Meditations for Actors app that I co-launched with uh, another actor uh, a year or so ago. So yeah, learning a lot in terms of running that business. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, just sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Are you gonna ask a question? I if Candace, did you want to start? Sure. One? Sure. Yeah. Um you kind of explaining that you're working on an app right now kind of is a, a good segue into uh, my first question, and uh, I did a little ba uh, background research on some of your other projects that you've done in the past. Um, so can you talk about how things have changed uh, in your field as far as like the technology and, and things of that nature? Yes, we have to do everything now. So traditionally, you would go see a casting director, sit in a room with a bunch of people um, for who knows how long and sometimes like sometimes it's been over two hours uh and then you go into this room you don't know what the setup of the room is going to be like you don't know if there's going to be just one person there if it's going to be 15 people there what the heck it's going to be and then you do your best to deliver and not have tunnel vision and uh then you hightail it all the way back home and now uh, it's primarily self-tapes, and sometimes you have a live Zoom audition. Uh, that tends to be rife with uh, technical problems on one side or another, especially if they're clients who are also, you know, Zooming in. But it, it it's something that I'm used to now, but when it first started, you'd have the camera on one side and you're trying to get your lighting right. And you get every lamp and like Christmas lights and things like that all precariously balanced, trying to get rid of the shadow and all of that. And um, yeah, and then by the time you audition, you're all stressed out. <laughs> but now um, in a different way, it's like same level of stress, different flavor. Um, but now I think a lot of people are getting used to it and, and uh, embracing that and and using it to their advantage, you know? So. Right. So do you think that that was a byproduct of maybe COVID or do you think that the field was kind of just leading towards this in some capacity? It was leaning towards it slightly. We would still have to drive, say, from Seattle to Portland for an under five roll to audition. <laughs> That's kind of expensive and over five hours of driving. Um, but now, yeah, COVID absolutely kicked it into another gear and it's one of those back assorts blessings, you know? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then also with voiceover, um, I used to have to go to my agents to uh, to audition. And then gradually with getting into voiceover in the first place, um, I set up um, a studio here and then I've been able to do gigs from here, which has been really nice. But I do miss the interaction. There's that special feeling of, of walking into recording studio and saying hello to the audio engineer and just, you know, breathing in the vibe. I, I do love that. Right. Yeah. Um, how did you get interested in doing voiceover work? It started with being a, um, a dialect coach. Um, so <laughs> uh, what was it for first? I think it was Halo 3 ODST. It was a, a lot of Kenyan voices. No, it was a World Vision one. And that was a lot of, um, it was more of a Kosa sound. I'd done a, a 24 character solo show uh, prior to that, and it was based in South Africa, and they have 25 official languages in South Africa, and there were so many accents in that play, and being a, a dialect coach, among many other things now, oh, where the light go? It's Seattle. Um, <laughs> um, uh, African accents are, are my absolute favorite. There's a special place in my heart for them, and so when I was asked to, to do that, uh, I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And then it just kind of kept building and building and building, mainly because of accents and dialects. Wow. Um, yeah. uh, what kind of like schooling or training did you have to do for voiceover or just like theater, any of that kind of genre? Yeah. Um, the biggie was going to grad school. So I went to, the whole name is, I'll take breath, the American Repertory Theater for Advanced Theater Training at Harvard University slash Moscow Art Theater School, uh, often referred to as the ART. And um, so that was two and a half years of training, both in Cambridge, Massachusetts and in Moscow. And then I, when I booked the, the solo show um, that I toured for about a year, the South African one, I really consider that my third year of grad school because that's where I synthesized absolutely everything that I ever learned. Um, and then with voiceover, it was very much trial and error and I didn't have a teacher for that. Um, and part of the reason I get passionate about teaching voiceover sometimes is because I don't, or just anything I teach, I don't want anybody to step on the same landmines that I have throughout my process. It's It shouldn't being necessary it shouldn't art doesn't have to be suffering <laughs> you know <laughs> I like to focus on the pleasure and enjoyment part and if I can help other people achieve that then yeah so uh it looks like one of the more recent things that you did um was some narrating uh do you prefer that or do you prefer like character work or do you really have a preference I don't, they're all different beasts. Even the corporate stuff, there's a special challenge in it where you have to make it sound uh, real and personalized. And uh, I realized that not a lot of people can do that. <laughs> so um, let's say with, uh, with video games, the thing that's most fun about that is absolutely being in the world. 
of the story. So, you know, I was, uh, was it Molly McKenna, then the lights, action curses or, or the Phantom of Venice, you know, you just get to consider all of those things and, and see how it affects your voice with um, audiobooks. That can, that can be one of the biggest challenges because every uh, fiction book always has at least 25 characters and you have to keep track of them, uh, making a chart of them and what they sound like and why is a really good idea. Um, but that's, that's a wonderful challenge. And I'm going to do that soon for my own book uh, that I just wrote. I'm a new author and I have a, a book that's uh, coming out on Juneteenth called Returning the Bones, which is based on a play of the same name. So it'll be really neat to, to, uh, to go into this book already knowing and loving all of these characters. And I'm really excited. Awesome. Well, that is actually another good segue into my next question. Um, when you have a, a voice acting job for, say, a character, do you personally prefer to have a very regimented outline of your character or do you prefer to have a little more creative leeway? Mm. I always need to think about the listener first. So I can't think about my, I can't prioritize my preferences. I really want it to be a great experience for whoever's listening and, and different uh, books require different things, right? Some of them, let's say it's a children's book, then you can have fun making the characters bigger and, and over the top. If it's something that is a little bit more sophisticated, the, the more sophisticated reader is going to want to make their own decisions um, in terms of filling in the rest of the character's uh, personality, you know, and that includes accents, dialects, the textures, things like that. Um, those listener readers tend to prefer uh, nuance. They want everything to be clear. So that's definitely still my job so that nobody gets confused with anybody else. But um, yeah, leaving, making it more of a partnership between the narrator and the reader. Okay. It's just a subtle dance. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're going in for recording for a game, do you prefer mm -hmm. doing the recording just on your own or do you prefer being with a group of people? Oh, I absolutely prefer being with a group of people. Um, there's first the the technical folks because then I don't have to worry so much about um, blowing out the mic. They'll adjust for me. So if I need to listen, then um, that's their problem. That's great. And then that way I have to wear only one hat and not keep switching between engineer and performer. Um, there there was oh gosh what was it called like super granny or something like that. Uh, um, one of the first video games I worked on where we got to per, uh, perform it uh, radio play style. So in a lot of radio plays, you have one omnidirectional mic. So it records equally in all directions. And then everybody is um, standing around the microphone with their script and, you know, trying to weave in and out as like a very slow boxing match, you know, <laughs> trying to, to, to change the pages without making any noise, but we're all still feeding off of each other's energy. Um, so that's what we got to do for the super granny stuff. And there are new characters every time. So 
it was very egalitarian because we each auditioned for the characters that seemed like they could possibly fit us. And then you always knew when the right person was cast because, you know, uh, this person would read it after two or three of us did. And then we'd all go, ah, that's the one that is definitely funniest in your voice. You have to do it, you know, and and it got the egos out of the room and it just made us all want to collaborate and create something hilarious. Um, for those individuals thinking, hey, maybe I want to do some voiceover work or maybe theater. Um, do you have any tips or suggestions for those individuals? Yes. Um, a couple. First is you may have been told for a long time that you have a great voice. And a lot of people will start uh, because they get told you have a great voice. But if there's no acting training whatsoever, or if you're, which is to say, if you're not directable, that can be problematic. Um, and depending on how big the town is that you live in, you know, uh, reputations get established pretty quickly. So you want to put yourself in a position where not only do you get to display your wonderful voice, but also show that you can really listen and take direction and, and work well with people. Um, the other thing that seemed to stop, seems to stop a lot of people is that um, they say, well, I don't know what my voice is good for. And then they just stop. And everybody's voice is good for something. Everybody's. As long as it's clear and healthy and you feel like you can be expressive in your voice, you have a good voice, right? Um, some voices lend themselves better to some things than others, but as long as you have all of those things there, every voice is like a fingerprint. So embrace the voice that you have, play with it, open it up, and and just um, find the joy in, in doing voiceover and, and the kind of voiceover that you like the most. If you are interested in an agent, the agent's bread and butter is um, commercial work, right? Um, because otherwise they they really don't care that you want to have a voiceover reel that consists of historical novel selections or something like that, right? Um, but as long as you've got that, uh, I love having an agent because I'm juggling so many things. It makes it a lot easier and they're worth the fee. Other folks prefer to go to um, pay-to-play sites like uh, Voices.com, that sort of thing, where a lot of auditions are listed. And a big part of the formula is you can turn that audition around. So they're not looking for the best, best person. They're looking for good enough within the period of time that they have to work with, right? So. Um, there are a lot of different ways to get into it and a lot of different um, genres and depending on where you live too, that makes a big difference. So here in Seattle, video games, that's huge. Corporate, that's huge. Commercials, of course. Uh, we have a lot of readers, um, uh, audiobooks to a degree. But if we want to do animation, maybe go up north to Vancouver, down south to LA, if it's specifically... Um, What's the Japanese style called? 
um, anime and manga and stuff like that. Um, turns out Texas has <laughs> quite the scene. Um, and, or Atlanta, right? If you think about um, a channel like Adult Swim, I think that's based in Atlanta. So um, there's a lot of information out there, but just getting bits of information little bit by little bit is a great way to go. I'm also a really big fan of a guy named Pat Fraley. If you go to patfraleyteaches.com, um, he has some free uh, lessons there. And he also has lessons that you pay for and it's absolutely worth the money. Um, and he's a good guy. And I've taken some live um, workshops with him before. He really knows what he's talking about. A great talent and a great teacher. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, so besides uh, voice acting work, video games, things of that nature, do you have, uh, and you spoke about um, the book that you wrote, uh, any other professional endeavors that you can tell us about? Yes. <laughs> I have started doing motion capture uh, for a game that um, I'm not allowed to name currently, but I've loved that. That's been wonderful. With motion capture, all that matters is that you can move because you are dots, right? Your shoulders, the head, all of that. And so they can they can really change your shape. And so it doesn't matter how old or young you are. Uh, gender barely makes a difference in terms of weight distribution across the hips as people are walking. But it's, it's really just about talent. And last time that I was doing the gig, um, one of the women, uh, she's a, a fight choreographer, and it was just awesome to see her in the mocap suit with this sword and doing the flourishes. I'm like, yeah, um, it's just wonderful. Um, and then I'm going to be writing uh, a couple of plays, one about uh, suffragette here in the Seattle area, black suffragette from the turn of the last century, and then uh, another show I'm going to start working on, um, which is about what it's like to be half black, but not look like it through the lens of, um, vocal pedagogy. <laughs> it sounds kind of dry, but it's like, well, who gets to decide how you're supposed to sound, right? And why? And what are the pressures that people do? feel. Um, and as there are more and more and more mixed kids, yeah, in the world, there are going to be more people who <laughs> look like me. Um, and uh, more or less. And uh, as I said before, I don't want people having to deal with the nonsense I've had to deal with. So I'm, I'm writing this for uh, future generations, and I'm hoping it helps. Wonderful. Oh, in the book, the I should mention it's called returning the bones i think i didn't mention that but right. yeah um so i think those are all the questions that i have alexa do you have anything else i do have a few more but they're okay. nancy Jew related <laughs> okay <laughs> um prior to you uh, voicing molly and marguerite margarita um had you ever heard of nancy drew or even the hardy boys oh i had the whole hardback collection yeah <laughs> so it was pretty satisfying to uh to be able to do that and um yeah it's kind of funny because it relates to uh the book too because my my aunt it's about my aunt uh who was quite the brainiac 
uh, growing up in the small Texas town and um, there, there weren't exactly mysteries per se, but she was uh, ahead of her time. I mean, for one thing, she was a junior veterinarian when she was a teenager. Can you imagine bringing your pets to a teenage veterinarian? <laughs> but that's the kind of thing she had going on. And then later on, she, uh, she escapes to Europe and um, other adventures ensue. But yeah, and the Hardy Boys, I knew about the Hardy Boys as well. Do you, like for um, like vocal kind of preparation for Margarita, did you mm -hmm. have to, you know, prepare yourself in some way for that role? Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't want to do a stereotypical Italian accent, so I was trying to do my best to be consistent with the with the finer details. And then what's important after that is that you find a, a way to relax um, vocally or else it sounds really stiff. I'm not sure if I was able to achieve that, but I really did my best. <laughs> with what I knew at the time, yeah. Now I can break th things down much more quickly than I used to be able to. Um, and I didn't expect to become a dialect coach at all. People just kept asking me and now here we are. So uh, Phantom of Venice is like part of the regular series of the games. And then there's Molly with uh, Lights, Camera, Curses with the dossier game. Was there mm -hmm. a difference during the recording process for each game or were they pretty similar? The biggest difference was uh, was in direction. So I had two different directors uh, for those. And it helped me learn more about how I prefer to be directed and how I prefer to direct. I learn a lot from all of the audio engineers and directors I work with because um, I just... Ultimately, I want to be able to say the fewest words possible all the time so that uh, the actor can feel like they are able to make their own spontaneous decisions. And that's something that you can hear as opposed to that feeling of, you know, trying to please somebody and do it right. Yeah. Get back to the metaphor of the dance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think my final question, um, where do you see Molly and Margarita present day? <laughs> oh, what a great question. Um, I, there was uh, right, right now in, uh, in Vanity Fair, I think there is a, um, feature on somebody who is pretty sharp, shoots from the hip, isn't afraid of anybody in Hollywood. Uh, you don't want to get in her way. Um, so I can't remember her name at the moment, but um, if you look in this month's episode, episode issue, um, they have her next to her cat and they're both looking with these same hungry eyes. <laughs> you know, you kind of see the fangs a little bit. Uh, Marguerite, I don't know. Um, do you have somebody in mind? Anybody come to mind for you? Uh, not really. Well, no. whoever it is, they're dressed fabulously, no doubt. Actually, I just <laughs> thought. 
I don't know if this was really, you know, kind of compare, but Helen Mirren. <gasps> yes. Love her. Love her cheekbones. <laughs> yes. Or uh, Kate Blanchett. She's always great with accents and dialects, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nice call. Nice call. <laughs> um, that's pretty much all the questions that I've got. <laughs> great. Great. Um, where can our listeners find you um, get, or get in touch with you? Returningthebones.com is the one I'm checking uh, very frequently now. Um, that's going to have all what I'm, the latest stuff that I'm working on. Um, because between now and Juneteenth, it's going to be kind of intense. And um, I'm hoping to fly to New York to do a reading at the Drama Bookshop in Manhattan. Um, still waiting to to see if that's going to pan out, but that would be a gas. So I would love to to meet Nancy Drew fans there too. If you like Nancy Drew, you'll like the book. Yeah. All right, Jim. Thank you once again for joining us. Yes. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. I really appreciate you asking me on.